Francis Liu is a system thinking technologist focused on automation with a flair for managing and mentoring staff, as well as fixing complex organizational processes. He's been a project and program manager working at the intersection of agile and development operations for 25 years with experience in telecommunications and software development. Sit back, I know you're going to enjoy this conversation I had with Francis a little earlier. Francis, thank you so much for joining me today. The first question I have for you, for anybody listening in, tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is you do in a day-to-day role. Well, I'm Francis Liu. I deliver small projects and big projects and big programs for companies that are very small to very large. So very small like a council, they want to upgrade some servers to medium size. The council is uh, doing a merge like the New South Wales government has told them to do and they need to change some or all or many, many of their systems make them all work together to larger companies like coal companies and large organizations like Optus who want to roll out a new mobile phone network. I've worked on projects from very small up to that other end. And at the very big end, I'm not working by myself. I'm working with a whole team of people, but I've learned many things. And I think it's, uh, I've had discussions with many people and they've said to me, Francis, you've done so many interesting things and your projects tend to go really well. Why don't you get those things written down and help some other people with their projects to get them to go well as well. I'm like, that's an excellent idea. Let's do that. Project management is kind of something that seems a little nebulous to people looking in from the outside that haven't experienced it. How would you describe the role of a project manager? When you decide you want to do something, sometimes it's uh, really small and it's really easy. I'm going to the shop to buy a loaf of bread and you know how to go to the shop and you know how to find your bread on the shelf and you know how to line up at the counter, you know how to pay for it and you know how to take it home. And then you've got slightly more complex things that you might do on a, on a once-in-a-lifetime basis, like uh, I'm going to build a house. And then there's other crazy things like please upgrade a whole lot of things that you know nothing about. So you might have a, a tiling business and the government says you need to upgrade your system so you can report BAS on a quarterly basis. And up to then, you just went to your accountant and they handle your tax. So the project manager takes that idea that you may understand or you may not understand and follows it from the beginning of when you have the idea to at the very end when it's working and everyone's paid for whether they're happy or not, but until you reach a result that people are after. Why get involved with the Better Business book? What was it about the concept that brought you into the fold? I've met with a a number of small business consultants and they work with their customers to reach an end. And some of them do it better and some of them do it worse. But it's very clear that if they had some project management discipline or they could spend some time with a project manager mentoring them in how to set up that process and how to catch things before they fall through, their lives would be better. And so in the Better Business book, it's I know it's an audience of people who are trying to learn things to get things done, to get things done better or faster or cheaper or some combination of all of them. And as a project manager, that is my bread and butter to to work out how we can do something as quickly as we can for the lowest price at the best quality. So tell us a little bit about what your chapter is about. What's it called and what the thoughts behind the chapter? 
So the chapter is called Stop IT Projects from Driving Off a Cliff, a guide for business sponsors. It's really designed for people who engage other people to do work for them or to do projects for them. So if you engage someone to remodel your bathroom or to put in a point of sale system, it's how do you get that consultant or that consulting company that's going to do that point of sale system? How do you interact with them so that you get the best results? So you say to them, I have an old point of sale system. I want to put in a new one. Um, it needs to have feature A, B, and C. And can you do it by tomorrow? And I want to pay you $10. And then you leave them alone for three weeks. And then you sort of magically expect that, you know, everything will just work because they're experts in, in point of sale systems. But when they come back with the result, it's not what you expected. And the chapter is about, or well, how do you prevent that occurring? What should you do? What I thought was interesting in the, although the chapter's called Stop IT Projects from Driving Off a Cliff, when I was reading through, it's wisdom that is applicable across the small business gamut. So doesn't have to be IT related. As you said, if you're looking at how can I introduce processes into the business or is there a way to proceduralize something, there is, there's a lot of wisdom that was contained that is applicable right across the board. Absolutely. I don't want to give the idea that I can solve every single problem with this approach to life. I know it works in IT spaces. They're quite predictable. But in that process space, um, you deal with people and their emotions, and there's a whole skill and a whole specialization in change management and cultural change and process change. And there's different engagement models to make them work better. This is just a, a starting point for change. Um, when you're talking about computers and electronics, it's a bit easier to draw a line that says we start here and we finish there and we're going to draw a line here and here. And yes, I know there'll be these three or four dangling ends, but we can sort them out when we get to the next one. Whereas when you're talking about processes, it's harder to say exactly, well, when you say to that person over there, this thing, we're going to move to the next stage. It's those communications aren't concrete. It's a different capability and a different concept when you're changing people as opposed to things. But I, I agree with you fundamentally that you can. But from a personal perspective, I was uncomfortable saying this is the approach, this is the right approach for all of those things. That's a, an astute observation. The first thing that scared me, I had to say, was your, your opening quote, seven out of ten large IT projects fail. <laughs> nice way to start the, start the conversation. It's, it's, you know, it's a hook and you don't want to be one of those, right? And it's, it's just about assessing where you are. Mm. If you're doing the steps that are there, and you think it's failing, you might actually get out the other side if you've taken the steps already. So let's talk about before we, you do include four really uh, excellent observations in there that I want to get into with a little bit of detail. But I'd like to start with your years of understanding within the industry. Why do you think 70% go that way? As, as a sponsor of a project that's large, it can take time to get to the end of it. Um, one thing that we know happens in technology space is that every six months or every 12 months, there's a whole new update to a whole lot of stuff. And so if you're trying to roll out a project that spans two or three or four or five years, it's really hard to design a system and a process and a project process that allows you to change those requirements on an ongoing basis. So quite often you will design a 
change at the beginning and you say, right, we'll do A and then B and then we'll do C and then we'll do D and then we'll do E and then F and et cetera. But what happens after six months is everyone started using Facebook and your assumptions about C, D, E and F are out the door and you should really do something different. But in that large project space, it's not necessarily easy to make have that change of mind and that decision-making process. It's like, well, I've committed to a certain number of dollars over that time frame, and this change may have an impact and it might just be easier or it might be people aren't paying attention to it to just say, we're just going to keep our heads down and keep moving forward and ignore the side effects of any of these things. Unfortunately, you get to the end and you deliver exactly what you planned at the beginning, except in the middle, a whole lot of things changed and what you thought you needed at the beginning isn't really what you need two, three, four years down the track from that start time. That's interesting. And I think that leads us nicely into one of the four practices that you talk about in the chapter. And one of them is carve out the right smaller projects to win. I thought that was a really interesting observation. And given that you just talked about there, the larger dare I say, more cumbersome kind of projects when you're dealing with with big companies that are slow moving, but with fast moving components behind it. Talk a little bit about what you mean around the, the carving out the smaller projects to win. So if you want to make a big change of some kind, there are often going to be many stakeholders involved. And you can start at the edge. And if you start at the edge and get some small stakeholders, Uh, Maybe you'll have some success or maybe not, but if you carve out the middle of the project and start there, maybe you'll have some success or maybe not. You need to find the right size of uh, something that you can win with. It's like um, when we're watching the Melbourne Cup, the race callers have a a little marker at the 1,000-metre mark and the 2,000-metre mark and the 3,000-metre mark and then right at the end, And it's just a a checkpoint to see exactly where you are at any given stage. And the race callers do it to get everybody who has money on the race excited. But at a project level, you want to do that so you get people in your project excited and to keep watching the race and to get to the end and to do it again next year. So finding the right size project means doing a change that brings some value to the people who you want to involve improve some portion of their life. I'm suggesting that you don't change something in the back in the IT space that's useful for the IT people, but invisible to your stakeholder. They're like, how come you've been going for six months or eight months and uh, what is there to see? And in the back, you've got web stuff and you've got file stuff and you've got all these things, but for the end users, there's nothing visible. I'd be like um, at the Melbourne Cup talking about how someone's made costumes and how they're so colorful and look at this pattern, that pattern at the thousand meter mark. That isn't what interests people who are watching the race. They want to know what impact does that have on my business and my process and my people. It was a lovely segue into discussing your first point, which was to make sure that you involve all of the users. It seems like a a pretty no-brainer conversation, yet it doesn't always happen, does it? So tell us about the value of making sure that you've got all of the users involved. Now, that's, it's actually a remarkably hard thing to do well um, involving the users. So at some stage, you start off the project or even before the project, when you've got the idea, you decide or a group of people decide that this is the thing that we want to do. And then it's sort of delegated off to one set of people, the IT director or the IT manager or the CIO or 
someone responsible for the change and you think right i'll be able to as the as that sponsor you'll be able to make that change and it's quite easy to forget to bring the people who were originally part of that decision making uh, back into a forum and if it's a, a medium to large size organization the people who make those decisions aren't necessarily the ones who are affected the most in the day-to-day -day impact of that change so you might report at some management level on the progress but you don't actually tell the workforce what's happening and so having the, that, that workforce and the people who would use the system and the people who are doing the current process involved and and I would suggest they should be involved at a close to everyday basis when you're doing your projects, it keeps the the match between what they do and what you're asking them to do really close. And so you'll have a small gap in terms of training because the people will have been involved in how you've put it together. You'll have a, a small gap in how should something, well, what's wrong with the current process? So the current process might look really convoluted and twisted, but there are reasons for it. And uh, if you don't have the users involved, then you won't know why they are that way. You can design something better and the users will start and then they will build their own convoluted process on top of the, the brilliant stuff that you've done and which sort of gets you, it, it loses all the benefits that you needed in the first place. You have a great analogy in there where you talk about a bus. Do you want to go into a little detail about the analogy of the bus? If you're trying to, to go somewhere, and you want to take your people with you on this journey of change, you need them with you on the journey of change, not just the managers, but you need everybody who does it. If you're driving off to the left and you decide you're gonna turn and go to the right, well, that decision to turn might be made by some people, but you've got to tell all those people on the bus, all those people who are currently doing that work today, you're gonna to turn, one, you tell them you're gonna turn so they can strap their seatbelt in and they can start preparing and they can look out the side for those potholes and everything else that, that they're currently doing now. Okay, so everybody has a role in the workplace and if you're trying to go somewhere, you need to bring them along for that role or you'll get all that um, difficult stuff around, you didn't tell me that change was happening and what's going to happen to my job security and you're just trying to get rid of us. Okay, all those, they're probably not the things that you wanted to deal with and if you open your mouth and you engage the people who are going to be affected, then everybody will come along on the journey. The second point that you touch on in the chapter is talking about being an engaged business sponsor. So my, my question around this is twofold. From a small business point of view, which the majority of the readers and, and people listening to this episode will be, how do you define a business sponsor from a small business point of view? Is it the owner? How, how is someone uh, listening from a small business point of view? How are they affected by being an engaged business sponsor? So I would define business sponsor as almost an exact alignment of the person paying for the thing to happen. So if you're trying to make a change and you're willing to pay someone to help you with that change, then the person you've paid to help you, you need to help them help yourself. So you get a tiler on board, you don't just say, go tile that wall, you go and provide some input. I want those tiles. And the same goes for IT projects. Explain what you're after in terms of outcomes. Try hard not to just make it a hand wave. Do it better than we're doing it now, right? What does better mean? Does that mean um, do it a bit quicker? Does that mean do it with less people? Does that mean do it with less people because I want those people to do something more useful? And all of that input will help 
the project team or, or whoever your consultants are to deliver the right outcome. So the people that you work with to make these changes, they can't read your mind. That's really easy to say, but when you're, you're living your business day to day, you know, it's really hard to step outside and say, I've just brought this person on board. What do they need to understand about how my business works to make that change work for me? You might've brought on that consultant to update your point of sale system because they've got experience in rolling out point of sale systems to other cafes that are like yours, but your cafe probably doesn't run exactly the same as someone else's. You still need to be there and to be available um, when they have questions. Do your shifts start exactly at nine o'clock? Do they start at 8.55? Because maybe those questions have impact to how that point of sale system is, is set up. And so if you can get to those issues early, then you don't have a, a whole lot of uh, artifacts and changes that are built on top of those assumptions. So it's about being available and communicative to the people doing those changes on your behalf um, so they align as closely as they can with your business practice. And maybe they can get it from talking to the users and your front of house staff, but there are certain things that you as a business owner and the business sponsor know um, that the front of house guys or the back of house guys may or may not understand exactly the same way that you do. And if there is a gap, then maybe it's okay. Maybe it's a discussion forum between you and the staff so they can be realigned. A lot of times, potentially as small business owners, when we bring in contractors to fulfill a role, it's almost as though we abdicate responsibility. What you're saying here is, no, no, you need to be involved. This is your bus, back to your analogy, this is your bus, get, get behind the driver's seat and actually steer where you want this thing to go. Yeah, steer. So point in the direction. You don't have to touch all the gear knobs. You don't have to read all the dials but you certainly have to be there deciding where you're going. I mean, the, the consultant you bring on board, they are the experts in that technology or the system or the process or, or the product that you've brought on board, but you're the only one who knows how you want to use it in your business. The other point that you raised in the chapter was deliver the big project as a set of smaller ones. I really liked this point. Talk us through what you mean and how by by putting this into practice can make a difference to the flow and the success of a project? You know, anything that you want to change uh, has side effects. Everything has side effects. And a lot of the points that I make are related. So if you want to bite off a smaller chunk, that's fine. Let's bite off a smaller chunk. But this one is specifically around uh, checkpointing on a regular basis so you can measure your success. And that makes a lot of difference to the people who are working on it. If it seems like... a there's that saying about um, a journey begins with the first step. But you know that if you're just doing one step after another, it's just plotting and plotting and plotting and plotting. And really what you want is uh, little base stations where you get a little drink and you want little corners where there's a photo opportunity. And those little milestones along the way help you keep focus and allow you to, to pivot your business or retarget or change direction as you need to. And so... You know, it's quite tricky to figure out exactly what the best size piece is to cut off. But every time you do it, you get better at it. And every time you do it, you can decide if you're still going the right direction. So maybe that you, you wanted a new point of sale, but really when you get down to it, maybe you just wanted some new terminals. 
So once you get some new terminals in, you can start looking at, say, well, did I really want that next bit and that next bit and the next bit? And maybe it turns out you want to move to a cloud-based point of sale system or something. But smaller projects allow you to reassess it at a regular basis. And if you're an engaged business sponsor, then you'll be having that discussion on an ongoing basis. See, uh, it'll be like, uh, we've got these new terminals. This is how they work. They've got these options like this. And if you're engaged and you're listening, you can decide, you can make a decision. And you might say, oh, the training cost is going to be too high if we go down that road. Let's go down this other road. And uh, maybe your staff can give you that sort of feedback as well. And that will also help you uh, get your project to, to the right point. And to your initial quote around the, the seven in 10 large IT projects are deemed a failure, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, again, from a small business point of view, if you chunk it down and you divide it into smaller projects, as you said, you've got that agility to recognise that potentially the end destination that was set out to begin with is no longer current. Maybe some new tech has come in, as you said, or, or something's happened. So you've got that agility. You're not the slow-moving monolith. You're, you're more the powerboat. You can um, change tact really quickly and go, no, actually, you're right. Let's, let's head off down this pathway and see where that takes us. You want to be those three out of ten large, but you could be easily the three out of the three successful small projects. I mean, if it's going really badly, you, you cut your losses, right? Let's not pretend that all, all projects will succeed. Um, but you can cut your losses bef before it becomes a big failure. You can try again later. And that's always good for morale. It's good for your bottom line as well. It's good for everything. It may not be driving off the cliff bad, but it might be driving into the ditch bad. And even if you just slow down before you crash into the ditch, you've still got a chance to, to recover something before you've totaled the whole lot. Uh, last couple of questions for you as we draw to an end of our time. As you mentioned, you've been doing this for such a long time. You've worked on such a diversity of businesses and in such a range of projects. For anyone listening to this or has read your chapter, what's the single piece, what's your best thinking, your best advice that you could offer Anybody who's listening to this discussion? It would be um, keep your eyes on the road and uh, stay engaged with anything that you're trying to change. The last question I have for you, Francis, is people who've read this, they're, uh, they're obviously seeing the, the value in what you've written. They've, they've heard a lot of great stuff off you today. How do people reach out to you to have further conversations if they're interested in finding out more about your methodologies and engaging? I have an email address that's there. Uh, FLIU at triplewin.com.au. They're more than welcome to drop me an email. This is just the beginning of the journey. So these are these are big picture statements that I make. And I'm sure you'll ask me to back it up with facts and it's going to be, uh, it's hard. How do you do it? It's like, well, see, I have all these happy customers. They do like this. And then you say, but where's the state of the art? And the state of the art is another step beyond this. So even if you're doing all the good stuff right now and your projects are mostly succeeding, you deserve a big pat on the back, but there's so much more you could do to do it better. You know, you could be the next Google. Even if you don't want to be the next Google, you could be like, people want to work for you like they want to work for Google because you're so awesome at what you do. And that's the place that I want to take you. I have nothing left to say after that statement. Francis Lou, thank you so much for your time today. I thoroughly enjoyed the chapter. Thanks for your chat. Thank you, Tracy.